0: Sailboat. The sails, stiff with salt and bleached by the sun, had clearly pulled the boat along for many, many miles. Coffin could see no one at the steering oar. He turned to the man at the dauphin's wheel and ordered, Hard up the helm! Under Coffin's watchful eye, the helmsman brought the ship as close as possible to the mysterious craft. Even though their momentum quickly swept them past it, the brief seconds during which the ship loomed over the open boat presented a sight that would stay with the crew the rest of their lives. First, they saw bones, human bones, littering the floorboards as if the whaleboat were a seagoing lair of a ferocious man-eating beast. Then they saw the two men. They were curled up in opposite ends of the boat, their skin covered with sores, their eyes bulging from the hollows of their skulls, their beards caked with salt and blood. Instead of greeting their rescuers with smiles of relief, the survivors, too delirious with thirst and hunger to speak, were disturbed, even frightened. They jealously clutched handfuls of gnawed over bones, refusing to give them up like two starving dogs found trapped in a pit. Later, once the survivors had been given some food and water and had finally surrendered the bones, one of them found the strength to tell his story. It was a tale made of a whaleman's worst nightmares, of being in a boat far from land with nothing left to eat or drink, and, perhaps worst of all, of a whale with the calculating vengeance of a man." The sinking of the whale ship Essex by an enraged sperm whale was one of the most well-known marine disasters of the 19th century. Nearly every child in America read about it in school. It was the event that inspired the climactic scene of Herman Melville's Moby Dick. But the point at which Melville's novel ends, The Sinking of the Ship, was merely the starting point for the story of the real-life Essex disaster. Of the twenty men who escaped the whale crushed ship, only eight survived. For nearly a hundred and eighty years, most of what was known about the calamity came from the hundred and twenty-eight page Narrative of the Wreck of the Whale Ship Essex, written by Owen Chase, the ship's first mate, and published with the help of a ghostwriter only nine months after the first mate's rescue. Then, around 1960, An old notebook was found in the attic of a home in Yan, New York. Not until twenty years later, in 1980, when the notebook reached the hands of the Nantucket whaling expert Edward Stackpole, was it realized that its original owner, Thomas Nickerson, had been the Essex's cabin boy. Late in life, Nickerson owned and ran a boarding house on Nantucket. He had been urged to write an account of the disaster by a writer named Leon Lewis— who may have been one of Nickerson's guests. Nickerson sent Lewis the notebook containing his only draft of the narrative in 1876. For whatever reason, Lewis never prepared the manuscript for publication, and eventually gave the notebook to a neighbor, who died with it still in his possession. Nickerson's account was finally published as a limited-edition monograph by the Nantucket Historical Association in 1984. At fourteen, Thomas Nickerson had been the youngest member of the ship's crew, and his account remains that of a wide-eyed child on the verge of manhood, of an orphan-he lost both his parents before he was two-looking for a home. He was seventy-one when he finally put pen to paper, but Thomas Nickerson could look back to that distant time as if it were yesterday, his memories bolstered by information he'd learned in conversations with other survivors. In the account that follows, Chase will get his due. But for the first time, his version of events is challenged by that of his cabin boy, whose testimony can now be heard 182 years after the sinking of the Essex. The Crew of the Essex Captain George Pollard, Jr. First Mate Owen Chase Second Mate Matthew Joy Boat Steerers Benjamin Lawrence, Obed Hendricks, Thomas Chapel, Steward, William Bond, Sailors, Owen Coffin, Isaac Cole, Henry DeWitt, Richard Peterson, Charles Ramsdell, Barzalei Ray, Samuel Reed, Isaiah Shepherd, Charles Shorter, Lawson Thomas, Seth Weeks, Joseph West, William Wright Cabin Boy Thomas Nickerson Chapter 1 Nantucket It was, he later remembered, the most pleasing moment of my life, the moment he stepped aboard the whale ship Essex for the first time. He was fourteen years old, with a broad nose and an open, eager face, And like every other Nantucket boy, he'd been taught to idolize the form of a ship. The Essex might not look like much, stripped of the ropes that made up her rigging and chained to the wharf, but for Thomas Nickerson, she was a vessel of opportunity. Finally, after what had seemed an endless wait, Nickerson was going to sea. The hot July sun beat down on the cold, oil-soaked ship until the temperature below was infernal, but Nickerson explored every cranny. Black and ugly as she was, Nickerson wrote, I would not have exchanged her for a palace. In July of 1819, the Essex was one of a fleet of more than 70 Nantucket whale ships that sailed the Pacific and Atlantic Oceans. With whale oil prices steadily climbing and the rest of the world's economy sunk in depression, the village of Nantucket was on its way to becoming one of the richest towns in America. The community of about 7,000 people lived on a gently sloping hill, crowded with houses and topped by windmills and church towers. It resembled, some said, the elegant and established port of Salem, a remarkable compliment for an island more than twenty miles out into the Atlantic, below Cape Cod. But if the town, high on its hill, radiated beauty and peace, the waterfront below bustled with activity. It was a scene familiar to Thomas Nickerson. The children of Nantucket had long used the waterfront as their playground. They rowed old abandoned whaleboats up and down the harbor and climbed up into the rigging of the ships. To off-islanders, it was clear that these children were a distinctive class of juveniles, accustomed to consider themselves as predestined mariners. They climbed ratlins like monkeys, little fellows of ten or twelve years, and laid out on the yardarms with the most perfect nonchalance. The Essex might be Nickerson's first ship, but he'd been preparing for the voyage almost his entire life. He wasn't going alone. His friends, Barzillai Ray, Owen Coffin, and Charles Ramsdell, all between the ages of fifteen and eighteen, were also sailing on the Essex. Owen Coffin was the cousin of the Essex's new captain and probably steered his three friends to his kinsman's ship. Nickerson was the youngest of the group. The Essex was old and, at 87 feet long, quite small, but she had a reputation on Nantucket as a lucky ship. Over the last decade and a half, she had done well by her Quaker owners, regularly returning at two-year intervals with enough oil to make them wealthy men. Daniel Russell, her previous captain, had been successful enough over the course of four voyages to be given command of a new and larger ship, the Aurora. Russell's promotion allowed the former first mate, George Pollard, Jr., to take over command of the Essex, and one of the boat-steerers, or harpooners, Owen Chase, to move up to first mate. Three other crew members were elevated to the rank of boat-steerer. Not only a lucky but apparently a happy vessel, the Essex was, according to Nickerson, on the whole rather a desirable ship than otherwise. Since Nantucket was, like any seafaring town of the period, a community obsessed with omens and signs, such a reputation counted for much. Still, there was talk among the men on the wharves when, earlier that July, as the Essex was being repaired and outfitted, a comet appeared in the night sky. From earliest times, the appearance of a comet was interpreted as a sign that something unusual was about to happen. The New Bedford Mercury, the newspaper Nantucketers read for lack of one of their own, commented, "'True it is that the appearance of these eccentric visitors, have always preceded some remarkable event. At the wharves there was much speculation, and not just about the comet. All spring and summer there had been sightings up and down the New England coast of what the Mercury described as an extraordinary sea animal, a serpent with black, horse-like eyes and a 50